Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated and Occupy IR Theory podcast. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and what better way to mark the occasion than with another episode of Fully Automated? Today, uh, we're super excited to bring you this episode, which we've been putting together for quite some time here, uh, with Christine Louis Dietzully, author of the recent book Transcending Racial Divisions Will You Stand By Me? That's from Zero Books. Christine Louis Dietzully grew up in an immigrant family in the 93rd arrondissement of Paris, Saint Saint Denis, an area of France known for its racial diversity, its poverty, and its complicated relationship with law enforcement. Louis Dietzully spent nearly 20 years as an academic in the discipline of biology. She then left the sciences and turned to the study of politics focusing specifically on issues of race, identity, social justice, and the demand for safe spaces in British and American universities. Today, she lives in the Black Forest region of Germany. In the introduction to Transcending Racial Divisions, Louis Dietzully writes that, for her, questions about race and racism are both a political and a personal concern. She goes on to discuss the common belief that the advance of social liberalism in the West has meant real progress for racial minorities. The problem with this myth, she notes, is that today we are much less likely to see members of racial groupings as distinct individuals with their own unique identities. Instead, we have seen the rise of so-called identity politics and a tendency to see individuals first and foremost as members of their race. Indeed, she notes in her personal experience, she is seen once again today as a black woman whose opinions and beliefs are apparently determined by her race. Historically, racial thinking, of course, has been a hallmark of the right. However, worryingly today, it is also an increasingly common phenomenon on the left. Now, some will, of course, say that the left has good faith motivations in this turn. After all, given the history of racism, isn't it entirely fair to assume that the victims of racism might have something to say on the matter? Yet, states Louis Dietzelli, here we run into the problem of anti-politics, because if we are ever to create a real equality, we require the kind of power that can come only from a universalistic form of solidarity. However, the contemporary left's embrace of standpoint epistemology, or the belief that an idea can be understood only from the standpoint of a certain group identity, means that groups are seen as immutable and immune to the passage of time. Whiteness, for example, is equated with original sin, and blackness equated with injury and perpetual victimhood. And if this is true, she says, then politics itself, that is our very ability to imagine political change, is destroyed. Clearly then, if we are to discover a universalistic basis for solidarity, we must find new ways of understanding the world. And for Louis Dietzelli, this means a return to Marx. I'm so glad to have her with us now on the show. Uh, the interview opens kind of midstream. Uh, this is because we sort of started talking before, <laughs> in in interesting ways before I could really get the interview going. But luckily, the uh, the, the 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 tape was rolling, and uh, we managed to capture it all. So uh, we we jump in with uh, Christine explaining to me uh, some of the points about her book. Um, I will uh, see you guys again very soon. 
Uh, we have uh, some interesting interviews coming up. Some of them are already in the can, and I hope to have them out before uh, the end of the year. Uh, if you have any comments or thoughts, as always, you can follow us at Occupy IR Theory on Twitter and on Instagram. Please feel welcome to reach out uh, with any queries or if you uh, have any uh, guests you imagine we would uh, like to interview, send them our way. Great to be with you again, and we'll talk to you again soon. for me when I looked at it is um, I intervene in the issue of race but if you look at the book it's not mm -hmm. it's not an, only an anti-racist um, 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 book yes. it's a, a book that is challenging racial thinking mm -hmm. um, and racial thinking it's not only it's not racial thinking is not the same as racism yes Right. Racism, I would say, is uh, uh, application um, uh, that that a political application, a social application of the idea that there is race. Right. So that's one of the important I, questions actually, I think I wanted to sort of start with today, which which is, you know, because it's it's the central concept I think of your critique. You know, what is racial thinking, um, and importantly. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about the history of how racial thinking became so predominant? So, so what is it, and where did it come from? Uh, racial thinking is basically, if, uh, as some part of a uh, uh, history, uh, mm -hmm. I, I would say human history, but there is no other history. There is only human history. Uh, there is no animal history. So, uh, some part during our history. Uh, humanity started to uh, look at the world and look at humanity as if it was um, um, we were divided by race and as if the history is the uh, um, competition between different races. So if you uh, if you are a, a Marxist, for example, you will never support a, a, a racial thinking because as a Marxist, at least as some, not a Marxist, but as somebody who understands, who agree with uh, Marx, Marx talked about class struggle. So the historical role of class struggle. Racial thinking is basically arguing that history is a competition between different races. So humanity is divided into races and that somehow we are competing. And this way of looking at uh, humanity is recent. Uh, uh, the notion of race, because you cannot have racial thinking without the development of race. And the notion of race only started to develop uh, 18th century and was fully developed in the 19th century. So the race itself is a 19th century development, full development. But of course, there is also other ideas that started to develop uh, um, before the notion of race was developed. So the racial thinking is basically looking at the world full the prism of race and understanding our social and political institutions and our world and, and humanity through the notion that there is different races and that these races are competing. And this is very wrong. But to arrive to this uh, racial thinking, 
uh, we had humanity had to go through different way of looking at themselves and looking at the world. Because the way I see it is that we are human and we have a reason and that we want to understand ourselves in the world. And throughout our history, we have developed different way of understanding ourselves and the world. But not only that, but by understanding ourselves and the world, we also acting uh, ourselves and, and the world. We also changing ourselves. So there is no also uh, that's another point I would say is that there is no fixed human nature. We are we are changing the world. We're also changing ourselves, and then we are thinking about ourselves and the world, and then we are changing ourselves. It, it's um, dialectical. Right, right. That's a very Marxist uh, uh, kind of position. I think that's that's how he understood the world as well. But I mean, if you look at the issue of us, for example, self, identity and self, if you look at the history of the way uh, uh, human, humanity look at itself and look at understanding themselves, you can see the change is it's never static. Uh, people didn't, uh, we all, we're talking about identity today and that we ask like, oh, identity is important for us. But the identity that we have today is not the way we understand ourselves as through identity. It's not what what used to be. Uh, people in, the, in in Greek could not see identity in the same way as today because identity today is based for me on the psychological self. We look at ourselves through our, our mind as if we are um, um, as if individual human beings can be can be understood through their mind only. So I, I think I think you've just put yourselves in a, in an interesting part of the conversation here because I know um, uh, there are passages in your uh, book uh, which address, uh, for example, the way uh, the Greeks, um, if if ever they found themselves feeling that they were superior to other people around them, that they didn't express this or articulate this in terms of race. Okay, so race really. Um, for them is maybe very distant. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say there, but like they, they haven't, when they think about their superiority to others, they think about it in terms of their political configuration, the, the centrality, for example, of the concept of citizenship to that political formation. Um, you said already that race as a concept comes more in the 18th century, but even when race comes, it's not automatically connected to skin color. So, you know, how how do uh, did did the Greeks have any understanding of race at all, or was it just you know just you know they didn't see it? Were they as as they would say in modern parlance, were they colorblind? Or uh, when race comes along, is is race initially colorblind? How does race eventually become attached to skin? I think one of the problems with, um, especially in the uh, when we look at um, the American discussions on race, is that people, at least the the, the people that I talk to from America, they have. Um, I found the discussion on race in America uh, ugly. I mean, yeah. really yeah. horrible. Yeah. It's a uh, um, it's a terrible thing to. It's a terrible issue to be involved with, and if you're involved in those kind of things, you're insulted from you know, from all corners. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, apparently, uh, uh, since I've been involved with uh, discussing the issue of race uh, on both sides, um, I was, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a betrayer of the black uh, <laughs> um, uh, things. 
mm. on one side and I am anti-white on the others, so depending on which side I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. um, uh, either I don't have the right point of view for a black person or I am just uh, because I'm black, I am must be an uh, anti-white person. So, um, right. I mean, it's really ugly. Yeah. But the, the problem is with the, the issue of race for me, I think, is that... Uh, uh, a lot of people looking at race as if it was just a simple grouping. It's like, you know, we always have uh, uh, groups of people and, and human beings are very, uh, are very diverse. Mm. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, nobody, even the Greek, would deny that there is human diversity. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the way we look and the way we are, uh, uh, there is a huge diversity in uh, humanity. So there is no discussion about human diversity both biologically and socially. What, what, what is a race is that you looking at the differences, you, you, you're looking at humanity and you divide them into discrete groups and, and, and basically uh, groups that not, not change. And you take in those groups and saying that these groups, the definition of these groups allows you to know what um, the members will uh, think or, uh, and you will know their morality, their, um, their um, intellectual capacity, uh, their um, uh, social behavior, basically. So you divide people into groups and you're saying that those groups can predict uh, somebody's uh, point of view or somebody's uh, mental cap uh, uh, abilities. So it's not just grouping. And, uh, for example, in, in the Greece, in the in the past, when people were looking at human diversity, for example, the Greek or even later on, they will look at people's. Uh, uh, um, for example, if they look at the biology, they will say, "Well, they know that some people have a, a, a darker skin than other uh, um, other people." But they will also tr they will uh, use the argument that somehow the differences is mainly the environment or the climate. And when you think about the arguments, if you're arguing that it's the environment or the climate, you are saying that these groups can change. So for example, a white person can become a black person if they are in a hot country. So they are not groups that are discrete and not changeable. They are groups of people that you divide, they were dividing people into different groups, but those groups were de depending. So there, it, it cannot be the same as race. So there is, there was always this grouping and this, I mean, people always trying to understand uh, humanity. So they were always grouping, but it's not the same as race. Race is a very specific uh, way of understanding the world. And race, the, the, the notion of race can only, could only start. And I think um, Ivan Adafort's um, book, uh, I think, in, you mentioned uh, um, Ivan Anaford books, Race, is a very good way, a, a good book to read because it, it basically is showing how the notion of race could only appear when other notions had to uh, wear change. And I think one of the best uh, um, uh, um, summary that I, I like about him is that it, it basically showing that you go from the political community of the ancient Greece because at the moment we are thinking, we, we, be, we believe that politics was uh, developed by the ancient Greek. So, uh, so you go from the political community to being a member of the faith community, so the religious community, to being a member of a biological groups, a racial community. 
And just by doing, by looking at humanity in that way uh, and the history of it, you can see how far we are moved from people being uh, a political or citizen. So uh, I know that not everybody was citizen in Greece, but there was the idea of pe people being political uh, or being actively involved in organizing their world. That's what uh, citizenship, citizens were. They were basically active people understanding and trying to organize their society to members of the faith of, of religious things. So somehow you were children of gods, uh, whether it's uh, Jewish uh, or Christians or the Muslim community. So basically God was telling you basically um, being part of the religions defines you. And then once the, with the enlightenment and the rejections of religions uh, and uh, we became the biological human beings. So the science uh, became very important. Uh, the, the study of nature was also uh, used to study human beings. So the human beings become the natural man, not the religious, not a member of the faith community, but a member of the biology. So uh, the, uh, when you look at the environment, there was a lot of discussions about understanding the natural world and humanity was being put as part of the natural world. Uh, understanding the fixed human nature and how to understand human beings. So this is how we started with the taxonomy, how to divide different groups of people in different groups. And in the beginning, when you look at the issue of race, uh, it was there was no discussions about inferiority and, and superiority. In the beginning, the divisions between different groups of people in the humanity was based on uh, uh, trying to understand the natural human beings, uh, uh, whether it was skin color or hair color or behavior. It was basically looking at that, uh, uh, trying to, to divide people. And then the issue, when the, the race was more developed, you end up trying to understand why, um, how do you explain? So the, the while a scientist and intellectual try to understand human beings in a biological way, you also had to, in society, explain why is it that uh, there is inequality in society. So if people, is it really only about skin color, but also uh, is there some people who are naturally inferior or naturally superior? Mm. So like you said, the race was not only about uh, uh, skin color. In the beginning, for example, the mm. lower class was seen as, as different a, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. So yeah. the Irish was, was not, the white race didn't exist. So the, uh -huh. the Irish, for example, were not seen as, um, uh, were seen as a different race from um, the aristocrats. The lower class were seen the, as different race from the sure. bourgeois and aristocrats. So the, the race is, there is different meanings of race throughout right. its development. And so then it was fully developed in 19th century. So maybe let's talk about that now, the, that, that 19th century moment, because I guess um, this gets controversial in the United States when it comes to the question of slavery. Um, for example, you have uh, people who maybe they've read um, Theodore Allen's book or they've read um, uh, Barbara Fields, and they would understand that the connection between color and race developed in the context of slavery largely 
well, they would argue as a reaction to maybe like social anxieties or fears of lack of social loss of social control that occurred in the early context of capitalism. You know, uh, so, for example, in your book, you discuss the events surrounding Bacon's rebellion in 1675, and you note that racism was actually not the primary cause of the initial separation between black slaves and the and the white indentured slaves and laboring classes. So can you maybe take us through that just for people at home who maybe aren't familiar with Bacon's rebellion and who aren't familiar with this early history of slavery? Could you just give us a little bit of like your your way of looking at this and and how this politicization of race and skin color takes place at that moment? Well, I, I, I'm not an expert in, in Bacon rebellions, but at the same time, uh, if, if you read about the Bacon's rebellions, you know that uh, in the beginning of the rebellions, it was uh, a dispute uh, between, um, uh, basically within the elites. So it, it wasn't a dispute between black and white. Uh, it started with a, a dispute, uh, an anti, anti um, Native American um, uh, policies Mm. and uh, disputes within different groups of uh, elites. So the, you had the elites who had the support from the old English, because you know, uh, the, the relationship between America and Britain. So you had the, 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 the elites that had uh, uh, linked with the old English aristocrats. And you had the new, um, uh, new, newer elite who had, it was um, um, relationship with uh, um, the Basically, landowners in mm. in 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 the US, mm. and so it started with the a dispute within the elite, but then uh, Bacon um, uh, got um, who's the American uh, part of it, uh, part of the rebellion uh, uh, had end up having the support from uh, the lower class. Mm -hmm. So in fact, he had the support from both the white um, um, servants. And the black servant, um, um, mainly because in at the, in the beginning in America, uh, both black and white were uh, indebted um, servants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so you you the rebellion started within a, a, a disagreement within the elite, uh, and then um, to be able to win the arguments, uh, Bacon got the the support from um, other people from the lower class. And then you end up, and that is a bit of a bit of a problem for the old aristocrats, old English aristocrats. And then you end up being having a, a, a rebellion between the within the so between the lower class and the upper class. So basically, the um, the elite and the lower lower class. This is quite bad for the people who have the power, so the upper class, to have a rebellion where the black. Um, um, and the white um, um, servants were uh, put together to fight for uh, freedom. Basically, that's what the the interest of the uh, the servants, whether they were black or white, was to be free from uh, the power of the elite. Uh, and that was a very frightening um, episode for the elite to right. have all because at the end of the day, the majority are, are the ones who are the lower class. So mm. to have the lower class all together fighting for the freedom was a bit of a problem for the upper class. And so this is how they started to create laws to separate 
the white uh, indentured servant and the black slaves. So you had more increasing number of, of laws uh, that basically sh uh, creates black slave mm -hmm. against white indentured servants. Because indentured servants were pretty much, uh, had pretty much no freedom. So, they were so, so this is, you know, I, I don't want to like, um, I don't want to sensationalize this, but um, I think maybe someone listening to this discussion who's not familiar with contemporary debates about race and politics would maybe find themselves very surprised to learn that the enslavement of Africans in the early history of the United States um, was not initially politicized around the question of skin color. And so, um, you know, it's it just, it's important to note that like what, what you're saying in a sense surfaces a political question here because there's a lot of people and, and, you know, I think they mean very well and I think their heart is in the right place in, in many ways, but, you know, many American leftists, for example, would, uh, argue that white supremacism and that, uh, you know, what, what they sometimes call settler colonialism was at the heart of the very foundation of the United States of America. And I think in some ways you can see arguments in favor of that. You know, obviously the, the, the establishment of America, how could you not say it was colonialism? Like, but, but, but what's interesting is perhaps that colonialism was not driven primarily by a racial calculus. It was, it was driven by, I guess what we're saying here is that the, is the expansionism of capitalism itself. Would you, would you care to comment on that or, or, or how do you feel your book it, plays into that? It, it, you know, when, um, I think it's, um, the whole discussions about, uh, white supremacy and, um, when America is based on somehow hatred of black people and, I think it's come from this, uh, it's the consequences of the way that race and racism is um, is understood since the Second World War, because, um, I mean, of course, the race, race become, uh, was, we end up being based on skin color, because, of course, when you develop the issue of race, you develop the idea that uh, there is some groups of people who are inferior and superior. And you have uh, inequality um, within both within both European country and between uh, the European country and the rest of the world. You have to be able to explain why the why there is this inequality, and um, it was quite useful to be able to explain that uh, the the um, uh, the interventions in other country was due to the inherent inferiority of those countries. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. colonialism was important in, in developing the skin color and issue of race. So he ended up being like that. But the problem is that people are using the issue of race and then they go backward and just try to explain uh, the beginning of uh, uh, the history through notions that didn't exist in the first place. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, import, the important part of capitalism is the, um, the uh, relations of um, productions, but property. 
uh, actually, when you look at the people who are fighting for to separate the the slave, uh, not to separate, to liberate the slave, the in the issue of property became quite of a most important issue. You wanted to 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 free the slave, but at the same times you had to fight and keep the notion of um, property, and you have to pay. Uh, to be able to liberate the, you know, you, the it's the it's the system itself which is a problem, not the 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 hatreds of of black people. And if you end up understand race only by the hatred of, of black people or non-white people, uh, actually, you basically you looking at race or racism as if you understand racism in a way that uh, has been defined after the Second World War. You're basically looking at it as if it was more of a bigotry. Or individual problems of hatred uh, than anything else. So, you, racism has been redefined uh, after the Second World War uh, um, by liberals who argue that actually um, the problem is uh, problems of individual uh, a lack of education or ignorance or a misunderstanding of humanity. And that's the reason why you have racism. So, you look at the issue of racism. As, an, as a problem of individual behavior and attitude and belief in education. And that started after the Second World War when scientific racism or the race, racial science was discredited, discredited. So you have different periods in the issue of race uh, that we have right. to consider. How we understand it, how, how it was defined before, how you end up being discredited on, the, on what we're talking about biological race and how it was redefined and reused after the Second World War. Today, okay. um, uh, unless, unless you talk to Americans, a lot of, because I was so surprised when I started to talk to Americans and they were still <laughs> believing in biological race, because for me it was like, biological race, we are past that. I mean, yeah, finished, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, if you talk to a lot of Americans, uh, biological race is still something that is believing. Sure. But. Um, uh, but when you look at uh, other people who don't necessarily believe in biological race, they still believe in their in in, uh, in ideas that are similar to biological race. They, um, in, in, and if you look at the book, they're talking about culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so they're still believing mm -hmm. that there is something about uh, you can divide you, you, human humanity into groups of people, still define right. uh, groups of people, <laughs> yeah. and you can still. So, in other words, the Muslims, you could say, it's not a race. Well, let's 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 turn to that now. This is a great. Now, I'm really glad you've brought this up because uh, I, I get in trouble on this sometimes, right? Um, because uh, when you, for example, say in conversations within the American left something along the lines of like, "Well, race isn't real," uh, you um, immediately get this kind of response of, "Well, you're not listening." to people's experiences. People experience race as real in this country. So who are you to tell them that uh, race isn't real, right? People experience racism. So I think within American left, for example, I would, I would almost venture to say that race is something that people experience. It's defined by uh, kind of a, if you will, a, a cultural, socio-cultural, political experience. Um, and I wonder if we can connect this to one of the central arguments in your book, which is about anti-politics. 
And, um, you know, at the center of the idea of anti-politics is this idea that, look, there are certain things going on in human society that we have just no power over whatsoever. They are permanent, indelible features, permanent, permanent dynamics of, of, of our of our human condition. And amongst those, we have to see racism and supremacism. Uh, you know, when it comes to the question of whiteness, they are sort of permanent defining aspects of whiteness. So um, I wonder, can you just talk to us a little bit more about what you understand the stakes of anti-politics to be when it comes to this question? Because, I mean, I know that from reading your book, you're very, very worried about our movements on the left becoming frozen in this idea of a trans-historical um, white pro whiteness problem, basically. So, you know, how do you navigate that? You, you know, that's um, my problems. If you define, if you define uh, whiteness, uh, um, or blackness, you're doing the same. You basically is still race essentialism, even if so. It, it, first of all, you were saying race is not real or is real. Race is real today, um, uh, uh, and um, because it has consequences. To so I'm not a, a colorblind than this uh, supporter. I don't. I don't believe that just by saying, "Oh, we don't, we forgot about race," everything will go away. So it doesn't work like that. Right. Um, right. Uh, different social groups, race, race uh, has consequences uh, to for people in society. Mm -hmm. So you cannot just kind of deny it and dismiss it. Right. But but race is not a biological category, or it's not a scientific category. That's one thing that we need to challenge. It, it's not. A race science is wrong, and race is not a scientific category. Mm -hmm. But it is a product of our history. It is a product of um, of our social of social circumstances. In fact, it is a product of our struggle. So human beings uh, struggle um, um, uh, for our history, and the product of our struggle, the different groups of people in conflict with each other, the product of it is race. And the race uh, is real has consequences. Now we have to be able to challenge that. We have to also challenge this notion that you can divide people into race. So if you are arguing that there is whiteness or blackness, all you're doing is that you still accept the notion of race. You still believe that you can divide humanity into these groups of people, and then you can uh, basically uh, um, understand. Um, who they are by looking at other like a race or their culture. Because today, some people will say, I don't believe in race, but I will believe in culture. So somehow uh, um, the, the, your culture, your specific culture, your specific ethnicity can define you and can tell you what to do. And uh, I'm not talking about us not being determined because all of us are determined, mm. but we're not uh, uh, causally determined. This is what I mean. It's, it's not a cause and effect. It's not because I'm black that I'm thinking that. Mm -hmm. I am I'm, I am affected by my social position society, but that position doesn't just tell me what to think. You, right. see, you see what the difference? It's a cause and effect. And uh, so at the moment, 
the way that people are looking at the blackness and the whiteness, the basically the anti-racism today for me is that it has never, at least at the moment, it does not challenge the most important part of race, racial thinking, the notion of race. The only, some people will argue, we challenge the notion of race by colorblindness, but all they're doing is basically saying that the race is, um, the social reality of race comes from people's minds or education. And if we get rid of it, we will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, but we, are, we are living in a society uh, where people have relationships. Uh, for me, this is how I understand those society. You, you, human society has to produce and to reproduce. Mm-hmm. We are humans, so we have to, we have a certain relationship with nature and certain relationship with society. And yeah. we are social beings. In each different human society, you have a different way of organizing. So the, the relations of productions will be different depending on the society. So today we are in a capitalist capital society with a very specific historical way of organizing uh, or uh, social relations of productions and the forces of production. Then you have people in living society who have a, a, a basically a relationship between individuals. Um, how can I explain? Race, race has, uh, is both a consequences of the capital, capitalist society and the consequences of the international, internal, inter, interpersonal relationship between individuals. And if you're basically arguing that you can just dismiss it, you're forgetting the society itself. Um, so I think, you know, it, I, I could be putting words in your mouth. And so if I am, you know, correct me. Um, but I think what you're saying is that, you know, we, we need to uh, sort of accept the force of social history is upon us and so yes i mean as i as i heard you saying earlier on today race is real um and how could it how could it not be but the the point is to figure out why and the point is to try to get into the material historical processes that sort of required race as it were to come into existence uh and to work towards eliminating those I, I i think that's kind of the underlying political argument but you know correct me if i'm wrong the, but, okay. you were talking about anti-politics yes yes i was asking you about basically hannaford and and the idea that you know essentially today's left i think this is an argument from your text but you know the the left today is kind of frozen in this idea of an original sin in the dna of whiteness um, which is an anti-political position insofar as it freezes the possibility of change, right? Like it, 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 it means that this is kind of like something that we cannot get past until, I guess, what? Like until, until epistemologically we center the black experience and, and have it be the true moral compass for our liberation it, it's it's white voices white bodies are not going to be part of that 
process and cannot be because of this central foundational sin that it that that whiteness bears but let's think about what is politics i mean politics is complete human activity you wouldn't find politics in in animals and the reason right. so it means that it's based it's based on human um characteristic and i'm not talking about uh human nature or human fixed human nature but i'm saying is that we can have politics because we have the the possibility of understanding ourselves understanding the world so we can use a a reason uh, uh, a particular uh, ability that human have a reason to understand what's around us and to understand ourselves and we can from our understanding we can make decisions and we can act on the world this is and politics uh, for me is about understanding and acting on creating something that human beings wants to have for the world so we uh, we uh, we are creating our world so politics is a uh, is is it's about uh, is active it's about agents human agent onto the world so if you if you basically arguing that we are divided by race and race determine our actions and our thinking you are anti political and i very much agree with and i thought i very much agree with people who argue that uh, race is autonomy to politics race is anti political and it's not only race culture is anti political and i will also argue that the national identity is also anti political there is a, because what it basically is mm -hmm. saying is that mm -hmm. there is something there is uh, uh, categories that determine pe human beings and prevent them from changing themselves mm -hmm. and that's what race is doing is saying that somehow when you're part of a certain groups of people you are causally determined mm -hmm. into specific mm -hmm. and and so and for me being anti political is very important because you you're preventing you're creating a barrier to change like you're saying you basically saying that there is something that is fixed and that we cannot change mm -hmm. human beings cannot change and uh, if you're if you're uh, a left wing person you are uh, um um you i mean i mean i would say that uh, understanding of the left would be to understand that there is a possibility for creating the world that is better so if you have i supposedly ideas that prevent uh, or determine people uh, and not determined but causally determine people Mm. then you also uh, against the idea of change you uh, basically against the idea that human beings can use their reason to understand and act right. on the world and on themselves so what we are what it means to be when when you look at the history of the self and identity the way we understand each other uh, ourselves has been different throughout a history but it's also because the way we live the way we the way the, the, the society is organized also has an effect on who we are mm -hmm. so so there is nothing fixed what it means to be human beings is not the same in the uh, in antiquity than it is today and, and and i know it's kind of weird to say like you know we're all human beings we are human beings but we are we are a, a social beings in the sense of 
who we are as individual, uh, as humanity, is is we are we are representing as an individual, representing society through ourselves. So, what I think today, I am a reflections of the society that I live in. Right. And uh, so, and when you when you support the idea of race or you support the idea of national uh, identity or cultural identity, so racial, cultural identity, or national identity, um, or actually any identity, you're basically freezing. And I think I think one of the um, actually one of the uh, also I, I quite like also uh, some first name is Moran argued that the whole issue of identity is basically the classification of identity is a, a essential essentializing classifications because just mm. by discussing identity you're already making it uh, a fix it's already fixed you're fixing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of human beings or humanity so mm-hmm. uh, uh, so. When you do that, you're becoming anti-political and anti-human because you're basically uh, creating a barrier to the idea that human beings can uh, create, um, uh, not create, not completely create, but can act on themselves and on the world. So, um, <clears throat> so I just want to want to recapitulate uh, for for listeners. Um, you know, at the core of your argument here is this notion of anti-politics, as we've been saying, and you've elaborated numerous ways uh, that identity, broadly speaking, um, and expressions of identity politics, you know, obviously this can come in the form of nationalism, it can come in the form of race, you've elaborated this very well. But at the core of your argument is this notion that these kind of essentialisms do suppress our political potential, right? And for you, this political potential is strongly grounded in the promise of the Enlightenment and its idea that human beings are capable of mastering themselves and their environment. Um, so, so one example from your argument and your, you know, in the, in the, in the book um, that I think kind of I wanted to ask you about it because it seems sort of ambiguous uh, in terms of its relationship to identity and the trap of identity as anti-political. But on the other hand, maybe only in a strategic sense, and that's the Kambahi River Collective. Okay, so in some ways, many people, I think today, trace the birth of modern identity politics to this movement, right? It's at least in terms of American race relations. Um, They, however, I think you're arguing in the book, did not pursue uh, identity politics in a fetishized sense. It was rather that they came together around the notion of of a black identity, a black racial experience, um, as a kind of a strategy uh, as a rallying flag or a banner that they could rally around and in order to demand better rights, more equal rights. Today, obviously, things I may, I think suspect today, uh, we can agree things are different because today identity politics seems to be founded more on something, as you've been elaborating in our, in our, in our discussion a moment ago, you know, something permanent, something immutable, something frozen. And I'm just wondering if you can 
um, comment on this 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 particular case of the Kambahi River Collective. You know how. <clears throat> What was identity politics for them? How come it was just strategic in a temporary sense? Or our identity politics in a kind of a, in a, in a, it wasn't going to be this kind of, they weren't seeing the world in this sort of eternally condemned fashion. Um, they maybe at the center of their demand were material privileges. Uh, and the demand for material equality today it seems more like a politics of recognition and a struggle f for some kind of recognition status so is there something there that we should talk about i am um, i disagree actually with the uh, notion that identity politics uh, i mean there is at the moment um this is how i um i did with uh, uh, my thesis Identity politics is can be can be understood in different way, and uh, if people concentrate on um, the identity groups from uh, marginalized, um, so-called marginalized groups, so the black uh, woman, uh, gay, lesbian, disabled, um, uh, uh, so Native Americans. I'm talking when I when I mean black, they often is. Uh, I think this is what I also wrote in the book. They often I see black not as black 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 Afro Caribbean or but black as non-white, so as a political black. I'm still in the in the old way of looking at black as political and the political black. So, so um, when people concentrate only on the identity groups that are uh, uh, so-called ma from marginalized groups, then I will see identity politics as starting in the 20th century, uh, uh, 1960s, or uh, with the Combahee uh, River, Combahee, what's the name? Combahee. Can be um, River Collective. Yeah, River Collective. Uh, I'm not very good with names. So, uh, um, <laughs> so they will say that identity politics started in, in the um, uh, mid 20th century, and this is a left phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I disagree. Okay. Uh, because what uh, what you're looking at is basically you're looking at only one specific uh, uh, groups, um, um, only one specific side of identity politics. Because for me, identity politics is you use social identities. And you politicize and you use them in the political realm. So identity politics is politics when you use with specifically identity-based politics. And identity-based politics for me is not politics. Because what you're doing is that you're not fighting for a, a, a political aim like freedom or a, 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 the collective, a, a collective visions of the future. You're basically fighting for the interests of a particular identity groups. Yeah. So you're fighting for the interests of a black group or, or, or a woman or, or, or a gay lesbian or, 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 or British or French or German, uh, because this is national also identity is the same. Uh, uh, so you pass, you fight, you're fighting for the interests of a particular groups of people. Uh, uh, and, uh, and this is what they call it by identity politics. So if you look at the identity as the use of social identities in politics, then you have to go further than the uh, uh, earlier than the 20th century and see that identity politics has been started at least in the 19th century or mm -hmm. 18th century mm -hmm. in the issue of race, for example. Because when people are talking about the um, uh, identity politics being a left, uh, left identity, left identity uh, phenomenon, they're forgetting that issue of race uh, was started 
by intellectuals and, uh, and the upper class. And that is also identity politics. They were uh, fighting for the interest of their particular um, races. Uh, when yeah. they started to talk about the white race, they're discussing the, uh, the interest. They were fighting for the interest of the white race or the Caucasian race or the Anglo-Saxon race. I mean, uh, Angl sure. for the British and the, and the Americans, the Anglo-Saxon race was very important. So they were also doing identity politics because they were uh, looking at uh, their um, defining their social identities and using it to fight for politics. The combined uh, in one way, they were also, my problems with identity politics today is that uh, as a left person, or at least as somebody who do want to fight uh, for a better world, the, the people who call themselves left are using identity politics that was defined and developed by the people who are uh, on the right, or at least for fighting for the interests of the upper class. So um, the, the people supposedly fighting for radical transformation, uh, social fund transformation, are using politics that is keeping the way um, things are, or keeping the status quo. Because when you are involved in identity politics, you have no understanding of the, so the society. You're talking about a, a, a social characteristic of identity group. I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, the working class, um, the, the example that for me is a, a bit of a problem. The working class was defined uh, by Marx in, in an objective way, by looking at the social relation, relations of productions, and uh, he defined, defined the working class and the capitalist class in an objective and scientific way. Right. When you look at the uh, uh, identity politics using the working class, the, uh, the working class now is defined as a certain groups of people who have a certain level of income, certain um, uh, certain values, certain morality, certain way of living. So basically, you define the working class no no longer as uh, uh, an objective groups. Uh, so you don't no, you no longer have an objective definitions of the working class. You have an identity group called the working class, and then you are basically fighting for the interests of the working class within capitalism. Now think. If we want to have, if we want, if we are, if we believe that we have a possibility for a more freedom that we have within capitalism, you don't want to fight for the interests of the working class within capitalism. You want to go, you want to understand the society that we have today, and we want to go further than what we have today. If you do identity politics, you're fighting within the confine of the uh, capitalist political system. Ellen um, uh, uh, Mexinwood makes a very, uh, I think, interesting point. Is she was saying that when you look at the left, they are discussing uh, fighting uh, for uh, uh, um, black interest uh, equality. Uh, so black equality, so non-white and white equality, a uh, woman and men equality. And in one way, you will say nobody will be against. No, I mean, it's not very hard to support equality between different groups of people. Think about how, if you were uh, arguing the same, can we talk about class equality? Mm. The working class equality to the capitalist equality. So, sorry, the equality between working class and capitalists. Can we talk about it? Because mm -hmm. if we can talk about working class and capitalist equality, we have to go further 
than what we have today. Because then we're entering the idea of class struggle and you're entering this idea that we have to destroy this uh, inequality or this uh, division between the uh, capitalists or the, 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 the people who own the means of production, the people right. who have the power today, and the working class, the people who are producing, the producer, the producing class. Uh, and, and so basically when you do identity politics, for me, the, the book is really saying, what I try to say is that we have to go away from identity politics. I can understand why identity politics is important. If we have to fight for oppressions, you can do that. But in the long term, and what's a combined uh, collective, river collective had was that they still have this long-term uh, notion that they wanted to change society. They, had a, they still have the radical notion of changing capitalism to a society where you don't have a capitalist a social order. Today, identity politics on the left is only identity politics. It's only about fighting for the interests of different um, groups and identity groups. But the difference between the identity politics of the past or 19th century, for example, or beginning of 20th century and today is that we also have the notions of identity is based on the notion of the self. And I think I'm introducing something else. I'm saying is that the, the, the victimhood that everybody's talking about, the victim competition, the, the how we see ourselves as victim. They call is, it the oppression still, Olympics sometimes. Exactly, exactly. But it's still identity politics. But it's identity politics where in a society where we understand identity and the self in a psychological way. Right. So I want to ask you a question here, if I may, because the, you're, you're doing something very interesting here that actually I think about a lot. A, a lot of people on the American left, when you when you start to present this kind of critique, uh, will respond, look, wait, wait a minute, they'll say, you know, you're ignoring the fact that um, we have multiple oppressions in, in, at, at play here right you know on this field there is the game of capitalism there is the game of racism there is the you know race and white supremacies there's the game of uh you know anti-trans uh politics for example okay so their response will be we have to fight all of these things at the same time their response is not simply to say the game is only identity they they do acknowledge that capitalism is part of the problem my my concern and i wonder if you'd share this is that i think they tend to understand capital and the struggle against capitalism kind of as an equivalent political phenomena to this to the phenomena presented by identity so you know you've described this very well identity you know when when identity politics are in struggle it's usually a struggle for some kind of principled recognition uh, it might also come with the struggle for certain material advantages for a particular group. But they will also acknowledge that there is a struggle against capitalism. My, my, my problem is that they will tend to sort of want to express it in terms of what they call intersectionality, so that we are inevitably victims at the same time and in the same sequence of 
a certain racial a certain racial power formation, a certain uh, gender power formation, and the power formation of capital, and somehow. You know, therefore, when we, you know, I know it's tongue in cheek uh, as a concept, but when we use the phrase, you know, oppression Olympics, right, it's a, it's maybe an unfortunate choice, but, but I, I think everyone knows what we mean when we say it. Um, my concern is that, you know, these, uh, th this notion of an intersectionality that encompasses all of these different power dynamics kind of ignores, in a sense, the strategic priority of confronting capital. So, for example, I often say, and it's it's maybe a cliche, but you know, I think you can have, I think it's possible to have a racist socialism, but you cannot not have a racist capitalism, right? So, I think there's a kind of a strategic priority, not maybe not a moral priority, but a strategic priority in the confrontation to capitalism because it's a different kind of thing. Capitalism isn't really an oppression, right? Capitalism is a is a kind of a, a political economic form of domination, I would say, you know, that it's because it, it's a structure that literally is a, a kind of a material form of, of domination. I don't find it, I think op oppression to me evokes a different kind of a language, a different kind of a social phenomena. So anyway, I'm talking a lot, but <laughs> I, I wanted to kind of ask you because I, I, I think I think in a sense here, what I'm doing is I'm doing a devil's advocate defense of the American left, as I understand it. And I and obviously I don't agree with this this type of politics, but in, in its defense, I do recognize that they acknowledge capital is a problem. But I, I don't think they are anti-capitalists. That's the thing. Uh, um, to, to be anti-capitalist, um, uh, you have to um, basically look at capitalism in its totality. I, you have to be a materialist person. Uh, yeah. uh, to, sorry, you have to have be. You have to use materialist politics. And at the moment, the way that people are talking about anti-capitalism, it's more of a anti-cultural and anti-social. It's, it's more of a, a politics which is anti-capitalism and capitalism understood as a, 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 a social, a, a social in the sense of personal. Uh, uh, relationship so uh capitalism is not oppression is um for me the way i, I try to see it in a, in a more uh, simplistic way in my head is that we have the society human society has to be able to to live within a a, a world and uh, the 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 most basic things that we have is to produce to mm -hmm. to produce our food and uh, what we what we need, uh, not only the basic needs, animal needs, but also other needs, uh, in 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 the relationship to uh, what the natural world is there, and and so this the most important uh, uh, understanding of different society is to look at the uh, social the social relations of productions. This is what is, uh, for me, understanding of the materialist understanding of capitalism, which is not being used today. Right. They do, they do not challenge the social relations of productions, or, or, or sorry, they do not try to understand the social relations of productions or the forces of productions of the capitalist society. They are challenging the, the, the relationships that are uh, between individuals. 
it's not it's not as if it's not superficial but it is not anti-capitalist in a sense of it's not looking at the society in its totality one of the problems with uh, to, uh, the way we understand society is i think most of the time we only look in a society as if it was individuals people individual human beings so not social beings but individual beings and we are all in together in aggregates and we live together in a particular place but that's not hard to understand society we have to understand the 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 way that we are producing our world mm -hmm. and reproducing our world and so i mean our and and the things that we've been talking about today flow from this right so so what you're doing is you're trying to couch you're trying to say and i think you're correct i think i agree with you these uh whether it's identity politics of the left or identity politics of the right all of these things are flowing from these relations of production that we we have as a society in, in, been engaging in 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 this modern capitalist period uh, is, is that, am I putting words in your mouth there? No, I'm saying that identity politics, um, so there's two different things, is that I'm saying that at the moment I'm in, I'm in uh, uh, trying to see if there is another way of looking at it, because I'm going away now from uh, uh, the idea of left and right in, 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 in a little bit, and sure. saying that uh, the left and the right are both wrong, but the left is more wrong than the right because the left is is portraying himself as uh, as those who are fighting for uh, to change the world when in fact they do not they they are producing politics that is keeping the status quo in the sense that they're keeping the way that they basically uh, they're keeping the capitalist social order so identity politics it's basically you are in a such a society that we have today and and the the left or the right are choosing different groups of people in society and they're saying they're fighting for the interests of those groups mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you are if you are following uh, if you agree with some of the points that mark said you are saying where he he understood he had um understanding at least so far the best understanding of the society that we have today and he understood that to be able to have a different society you have to go and destroy class, the abolition of class. And it wasn't because he likes work, working class, or yeah. it wasn't because he was a moralist, but it was because he understood that history is about class struggle right. so far. So we have to go against class. So you have to destroy the issue of class. When you do identity politics, you forget about that. What you're saying is that you're supporting the interest other of the working class or the supporting interest of the blacks or the gay or the capitalist or whatever you're supporting a class you do not it's not about changing it's about fighting for the interests of different groups of people so it's for me it's always politics that keeps the way that society is today mm -hmm. and it's, I, i'm not anti-capitalist because I hate, uh, you know, I just want to be anti-capitalist. For me, there is a possibility for human beings to do something that is better that we have today. And for me, that's the reason why I, I like Marx, because he, he analyzed the society and he realized that there is 
humanity has reached uh, uh, um, steps where we could do something that we we can go further than we have what we have today. And so if you are into identity politics, all you're doing, you're saying is that the, you basically, you're saying that the, the society that we have today is the natural part of society and we are fighting and supporting one group or the other. And yeah. actually the, for me, identity, well, you, you see the result of identity politics today, because yeah. we are in atomized society, identity politics is with the smaller and smaller identity groups. So you have the, I mean, even the Af African American are discussing the African Americans who are not the same as the African Americans who are just arrived. The immigrants are not the same as the African Americans. You know, yeah, you have smaller, is... smaller groups of people because it's all about identity and and the interest of fighting for special identity um, uh, groups. And it's based always on the idea that we have also a limited world. So you have different groups of people, you divide them into identity groups, and you're fighting for the resources that are seen as limited. So there is a lot, for me, there is a lot of wrong in identity politics, but it is especially bad when it comes from the left, because mm -hmm. it's really going against anything that could uh, allow us to move in a direction that we have, uh, uh, you know, more freedom. I mean, the potential for humanity to develop is is there, but when you support identity politics, you are basically putting a barrier. You can understand identity politics uh, on the level of politics for the left. You know, when when the blacks were were oppressed or the women are oppressed or the gay and lesbian, you can understand identity politics, but it's only useful with a bigger program. Otherwise, it becomes just a group's uh, a moralistic uh, liberal uh, politics. Right. So you you care about black or you care about woman or you care about a gay or lesbian and you pity them and then you want to fight them. You you want to to support them against the oppression. And it becomes kind of a moralistic politics uh, and to keep them to, for them to have a better life in within the society today. But you you don't go further than how can we have a world where human beings can develop better than more than what they have so far, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I understand. I think a great example of this, by the way, uh, as I was listening to your comments there, um, is the um, well. Well, let me let me let me confess. I have a bit of an agenda here, right? Uh, so I think okay. one of the great examples of uh, what you're talking about here is the current. Uh, a preoccupation, for example, in organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, and in full disclosure, I am a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, right? But you know, it's a big, it's a big tent, and there's a lot of different political ideologies within it. But it's a very dominant conversation, I think, within this organization to demand uh, reparations for for racial injustice. Okay, and so. One of the things I think I'm hearing you say, uh, almost, uh, you know, you, you're answering the question before I've even asked it to you because you're you're ahead of me. You're 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 already sort of suggesting that these debates within African American left circles also include questions of like, well, who are the new African Americans? Who are the old ones? Who are the ones that were really subject to racial oppression in the terms of slavery like what so what is what are reparations for 
do, do does every black person in America get reparations or is it just the poor ones or is it just the old immigrants who have genetic linkage to slavery you know is it one drop of blood connected to slavery if so you get reparations if you you know do the new the, the new black people in America not get anything how, how are these debates going to be figured out and so a lot of people say well it's not just economic reparations right it's it's a it's reparations in the form of uh, you know, some kind of therapy or reparations in the form of some, you know, this, this multifaceted uh, way in which reparations is being kind of imagined nowadays. So I, I want to sort of argue or suggest, and, you know, I guess I'm interviewing you here, so I shouldn't be the one making editorial remarks, but I, I want to maybe suggest to you as a provocation that, you know, th this kind of discourse is absolutely endemic uh, in the democratic socialists of America right now. And, um, you know, I, I want to, I do disagree with it. And many of my colleagues, my comrades in DSA know that I disagree with it. And, and I'm not the only one, of course, but, uh, I, I will confess, I do not know how to begin to have this conversation with them. I do not know how to present your ideas to them in a way that will persuade them to disengage from the question of reparations. So I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, are you how do you yourself feel about the reparations question? And what what way can we begin to persuade people that a class first politics is more likely to win uh, justice for everyone in the in the longer term than these kinds of sort of um, recognition-based forms of material distribution, if you will. Am I asking you an impossible question? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, I, 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 actually, I'm, I'm trying to see if uh, how many enemies should I um, <laughs> bring myself by telling uh, people exactly what I think. <laughs> Yeah, did go, um, you know, we're all we're all enemies here, Christine. <laughs> uh, no, no, because you know, if I um, if if you're saying such certain things, you will have uh, enemies from. I mean, I have sure, enemies sure, sure, from sure. left and right, and uh, because uh -huh. I, I I don't agree with a lot of things that's happening today, especially uh, in the political discussion. I think is very narrow, and um, uh, uh, I disagree with most of the discussion. So. I'm having enemies from left, right, center, and everything. So if I say that I disagree with the discussions about reparation, I know I'm interesting. <laughs> I'm uh, adding more of the disagreement. But yes, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's um, a useful. Um, first of all, you 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 show uh, one of the problems. I mean, who is going to get the re reparation? Uh, mm. uh, how far are you going to go for the reparation? Are they the one who uh, I mean, who's who's got the ancestor that have the the right to have the reparation? I mean, mm. it's just for me. It's um, it's, it's I I understand why. Uh, uh, I mean, because I don't. I'm not going to deny that there was uh, uh, racism, and I'm not going to deny that uh, to be a black person in America, uh, it's not the same as to be a, a white person in America. So sure. yeah, there I is definitely, and yeah. I'm not denying the uh, issue of oppression. But I, I think that um, the discussions about in politics, uh, sorry, black politics and uh, uh, reparations and uh, fighting against racism, it, it's a politics that is um, 
uh, uh, developed by a people, um, basically I call it middle-class politics, uh, um, uh -huh. uh, um, politics for uh, groups of black people or, or, or white people, make a, a politics of uh, a groups of people who are basically trying to find a power uh, for themselves in, in, in a way. Um, because when you look at a, a lot of the issues, it doesn't change anything for the life of um, ordinary people, ordinary black person. Uh, but uh, you will have more and more of the, uh, um, some middle class and upper class black will have more and more power. So you will have the, the professors and black professors and, uh, and, uh, and in which in one way, I mean, uh, who's going to be against that? Uh, so I want to translate. I want to. I want to maybe try to translate what you're saying, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm interpreting you incorrectly here. Um, I think you're saying that the demand for reparations is a demand that comes from a stratum of American society that is middle, upper class, maybe urban, maybe academic in nature, and it is a um what you might call a um a, you know <laughs> to borrow from the old legends you know a sisyphean they know it's a sisyphean project that it will never ever happen so it's I'm a safe it's... it's it's safe for them because it will never happen it's a safe demand no is that not what you're no, saying i'm saying no i'm saying it's i'm going to say it it's conservative politics okay Okay. How? And, uh, I think uh, I think a lot of the so-called left uh, politics today, uh, either in America or in Europe, are conservative politics. Okay. Uh, and that's what I said. I tried to go away from the left and the right because I think that this is politics that um, you basically is based on the. It, it, it's a bit. It's a bit like you already accepted. It's the same as issue of race. You're already accepting. Uh, certain uh, uh, factors and conditions, and then you you basically try to reform uh, some other parts. So uh, uh, when you have the demands for reparation, you don't challenge uh, in the way that uh, the society is organized. You're just saying that some people should have the reparation from the past, especially the past, uh, not even uh, things that they suffer themselves, but from the ancestors, somehow you have a link with the ancestors and then how the ancestors suffer, you are suffering yourself. So uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's conservative politics. It yeah. keeps no, I agree. Way. I agree. But, uh, but it keeps the way. But isn't it, isn't it also safe to say, uh, and I don't mean this as a, as a, as a disagreement, uh, but I want to give the coordinates of this conservative politics. It's a class-based politics at the end of the day. It's it's conservative insofar as it's a reaction in defense of a certain class-based privilege. Um, I mean, I think we all know that reparations is so vague and so encompassing that it simply could never happen in capitalist America, you know, even if I, even if I personally agreed with reparations and I'm, I don't know that I do, um, I don't think it can happen in today's capitalist America. You, it would, to be realistic, for reparations to be really possible, it would have to be a fundamentally different country with a fundamentally different politics. And that politics would, would to me, look much more like a working class socialist politics 
which in a sense to me makes the demand for reparations redundant, right? Because, you know, you would, by the time you get to an America that can even practically imagine real and sincere reparations, you have a completely different power structure in the country. You would have to have a radically different uh, politics. So it's the safety, it's the, it's ultimately the impossibility of reparations that reveals to us how conservative i think you're correct it, it, but it's the it's the impossibility of reparations without anti-capitalist transformation that reveals to us the essentially conservative kernel of the actual demand i think that's absolutely true i, I think i agree with you if that's your argument i agree with you completely um, my argument is 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 a little bit deeper because okay go for it i i, I will say that you know, I was I was thinking uh, when I was discussing racism uh, with another person. I was thinking, it in reparation is the same. It is possible to uh, imagine the current society where black and uh, uh, on the black people, for example, who were uh, African Africa Afro African American, yeah, were not oppressed. It is also possible to imagine American uh, uh, society where there will be some groups who have a reparation. Uh, I mean, of course, there will be a, a technical discussions and because it's, for me, I find it's a technical discussion where you have to discuss who is going to have which money. It's a technical discussion, but it is still possible to imagine society where you have reparation and where the racism that we experience today, because um, the, the issue of race change uh, uh, constantly, but the, the, the racialized groups that are today uh, oppressed, you could imagine uh, capitalism without those groups, but there will be other groups, but mm -hmm. not those groups. So mm -hmm. that can change. I call it conservative because you do any, any politics that uh, goes into redistribution. So basically saying that you have more uh, power in one group and not the other, or conservative politics that do not challenge. I am, I am, I am um, pushing the points of radical social transformation. Yes. In the sense that for me, this is the only way uh, to be able to have a, my political aim, this is how I see it, my political aim is human freedom. Right. It's humanity's ability to, uh, to so human's potential to develop can be um, uh, done in, in a society where we do not have working class and capitalists. So, uh, and, and at the moment, politics that say we're going to redistribute power or redistribute some wealth among different groups of people is conservative politics because it doesn't challenge mm -hmm. capitalism in its totality. Yeah. It only challenge the uh, uh, relationship between different groups. So why would I support uh, 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 black groups more than I support white groups? Is this is in one way because you would say, well, oh yeah, black people should have some reparation. Tomorrow sure. it will be uh, Irish people should have some reparation. And, and after that, it will be, I don't know, Native American who should have repression. And so you end up having a political... Or, yeah, or even conservatives themselves. With, you know, you can just, you can already see it. I think you discussed this in in your book, you know, how, um, you know, the, the, the literal 
actual white supremacists in America, people like Richard Spencer, you know, have already quite conveniently used this language of racial exceptionalism to uh, demand uh, special privileges for themselves. Uh, you know, the it's the it, the opponents of identity politics on the conservative right uh, know very well how to use this language. Now, they are well, quite I, quite I, good I, I, at, at expressing a demand for something called white identity. You know. Yeah, yeah, but the problem is with identity politics from the right is that every time people, when I mention identity politics from the right, people always looking at it as if it was just the white nationalists. But uh, so they will say, oh, it's far right. But uh, identity politics from the right is not only far right. Uh, far right is one, uh, one aspect of identity politics from the right. And so, uh, and, and you will see, for example, what you're saying, the racial self-interest, uh, some people are arguing for racial self-interest. If the if the black do it, then why not the white? So they're redefined uh, in, a, in a world when in uh, countries where the majority is white, you're redefining uh, um, racism by calling it racial self-interest. But that's just part of the identity politics from the right. I mean, national uh, identity is uh, identity politics from the, the right. The idea that somehow uh, if you are uh, British or French or, or German, you do not have the same interest just simply because you are British, French, or, or German. This is another part of identity politics. Uh, and, and, but this identity politics is wrong, whether it's the left or the right. My argument is always, I'm always looking at it as, um, as somebody who, is, who has a background of left politics in the sense of what is my political aim in life? Do I want to fight for the interests of a particular groups of people, so black women, for example, or do I am or am I involved in politics because I believe that there is a possibility for having a world where human beings have a better life, and and my 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 activism is on that second things. So all the arguments I've been putting is always on the. Uh, arguments that I'm trying to use for people who believe that there is a possibility of uh, something better. If you are conservative, you want to, you are arguing that the world today, for example, there is some people who are anti-racist, colorblind, they're arguing that the society that we have today is the best. We just need to have more equality between black and white. Fine. But for me, that is that, that doesn't change the real material condition that prevent us from being free. Yes, I understand. Uh, mm. I, I don't understand. I don't see. I, I, I'm arguing only always on the specific. My argument is is towards the groups of people, not to the others. If if you want to keep the way things are, my argument is just doesn't mean anything to you because right. you just want you want to have a nicer life for yourself, but that's it. You know, my argument is. Is, is if you're left, let's think about what you are asking for. And at the moment, if you're left, you are, most of the people who are left have conservative politics. They have given up on some of the most important, uh, 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 actually they have given up on the most radical uh, ideas of Marx and others. That's true, that is true. I think we very strongly so, agree uh, on that, yeah. 
it's a bit like saying, you know, like some people want to change society for the sake of it. And then you have also the people who want to change society because they understand that there is something that can be changed. And when I look at the, some of the writing of Marx, uh, I'm, I'm thinking he, he, he analyzed the society. He wasn't about uh, helping uh, poor people. It's about he analyzed society and he, he kind of understood that humanity is developing through, uh, I mean, there is a development for history. We're changing, we understand ourselves, we, we are improving our life. And that there is a possibility of having a more human life. I, I look at, for example, in, when we are in the Greek world, for example, and the nature, nature has more of a power of a human life. With the developments of uh, science, the developments of technology, nature has less of a power of our own life. We are creating a more human world. That is, for me, the key basis of my politics is that I think we can create a more human world, a, a world where humanity has more control and can define the world for themselves, for their interest. So if I start by that, then I'm looking at what is the problem. So I'm looking at the way the society is organized and I'm looking at what is the politics that allow me to be able to push that point. And identity politics for me is not pushing that point. Identity politics is looking at the, the way it is naturalizing. So it's basically giving the idea that the way we are living today mm -hmm. is a natural and permanent way of living today. That's or at least a permanent, uh, 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 natural way for human to live. If you are conservative, you think that capitalism is just another society compared to others. So that's why some people always argue that, you know, there is trade, commerce, it's always, we always have trading, we always have money and that kind of things. So basically they're looking at history as if it was a linear history. It, it things never change, you know, we're always the same, you know. And then, so basically, it means that there is nothing. There is no progress. It's just like you're always the same. Right. But if you if you if you believe that there is a different way that we basically organize, so that difference we didn't organize it, but a different way that societies was organized, and if you understand that there is other possibility uh, for making it better, so that more humane society, then you you. No, you're right. I, I lost my point. But no, you know, no, 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 no. I think you've made your point very, very well. Um, so I want to maybe, uh, th this is our last question because I've kept you for so long. We're, we're kind of almost two hours now. So <laughs> I, feel, I feel very grateful for your time, but I don't want to keep you for the rest of your day you have to you have to get a lot of blah 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 <laughs> no 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 it's perfect i mean honestly it, it'll be great but um i do no. i do want to ask you one i think important last question because it's just this question of like okay you know we we obviously have a lot of work to do right you have work to do i have work to do and that is to say people who uh, want to return the left, European, American, return the left back to something more like a Marxist orientation, 
okay? We have work to do. In your mind, how do we begin that process? You know, for example, are there things that you would want to see people reading? Are there things, you know, are there are there important debates, important books being produced today that you would recommend to people um, that would maybe start to give us a language that we can use to persuade some of these um, activists in our milieu to start paying attention again? It depends on the subject, I have to say, because, uh, uh, I mean, uh, on, the le- on the issue of race, uh, I love uh, Anna Ford, but I think you, you, you saw it on, if you look at the, my book, um, there is two main authors, mm. uh, Kenan Malik and Anna Ford. Um, yeah, I'll put links for the listeners. I'll put links to the books that you're referring to there in the show notes so that they'll be able to see them on, online. But um, so Hannaford, but, uh, Kenan Malik, yep. Yeah, Kenny Malik is, uh, I mean, um, um, uh, I, I'm not sure if we, I'm not saying that he necessarily agree with me, but I'm saying that uh, he's, um, uh, the way I understand his point of view, um, uh, uh, Kenny Malik and Anna Ford's, uh, for the book anyway, was, uh, they were very important uh, offer for me. And, uh, um, but I mean, I talk about Marx a lot and I think it's, um, for the left, I think um, they will have to go back to uh, to understand. My problem is uh, it's not that we, we cannot. Um, I mean, Marx has always been there. I mean, uh, the books is his books is there. So if anybody wants to read Marx, they can read Marx. It's more like uh, we need to find a way of um, widening the framework of the political discussion. So, uh, I mean, in, in also discussing the Greek uh, um, understanding of what is important uh, for politics. I mean, I could I could say a lot of the books. I, 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 I'm, at the moment, I'm interested in also Ellen Maxine uh, Wood. Um, yeah. You know, there is a lot of offer that uh, I'm interested in the point of view of, uh, what's his name? Um, Walter Ben Michael Michael uh, on, yeah. on the on the issue of um, uh, on, for for me it's the issue of uh, first of all because he's arguing that uh, we have to destroy the notion of race which I agree mm-hmm. with him mm. but it's on the issue of um, identity based politics you know that it depends on the issue but yeah. uh, uh, it, it's it's more like basically we have to decide. Uh, um, what is the aim of uh, the, uh, if you're lefty? What is your aim in politics? What what do you want to achieve? And at the moment, unfortunately, uh, there is a very pessimistic way of understanding the world. So, and the very pessimistic way is to believe that there is not much change. So most of the left is reformist left. So, and we have to go away from uh, uh, this idea that somehow what we have today. Uh, the way it's organized, it's um, it's it's a permanent thing, and we just have to adapt. So, uh, and so, on, for example, the anti-racists today are adapting themselves to the notion of race, They're accepting it, and and going around it, and uh, accommodating to the notion of race. And we have to go away from that. But we also have to go away from this idea that somehow uh, uh, democracy and uh, uh, capitalism is the only way to. I, I don't. It's a bit difficult. I mean, yes, we have to. We have to open the. I suppose the. 
the discussion and we have to question what the left has been doing so far. I mean, as an individual, this is what I'm doing at the moment is basically looking at uh, um, some of the writing of the left and the right and the center and trying to see what went wrong, where where did we go wrong? And, and, and I'm just thinking that, how do we define what we want? So how do we define uh, human freedom, for example? How do we define freedom? What went wrong? Why is that there is different definitions of freedom? This is another thing that I go, for example, at the moment, is uh, looking at the issue of freedom. Because of course, when you say human freedom, it can mean a lot of things. So uh, what was different definitions of freedom? What went wrong? Why do we see freedom only as individual freedom? Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the problems of the left has always been about uh, being um, pitying and uh, sentimentality, and, and 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 I think this has also been a barrier. And and, and for me, it's more about understanding and um, understanding the barriers and understanding society. I mean, right, right. I, I totally agree uh, with you. Yeah, uh, no, uh, I think I think the key message here is we have to escape the individualism. If our politics is completely constructed around notions of individuality, it's it's ultimately a, a, a it's a it's a libertarianism, liberalism, whatever have you. Yes, yes, I think that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. We have to we have to we have to rebuild uh, in one way. We have to reconsider the materialist conditions yeah. of our life and. And, and I know that a lot of the left saying it's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, there is a mm. name for it. Um, there is a kind of an insult where they call you a class right. determinist <laughs> yes, or, yes. or a material determinist or whatever. I mean, what kind of these things that they mm. want to insult you with. Uh, I think that we have to understand what is the basis of yeah. human life. So yeah. it, it means that the material conditions of our life yeah. is important, whether you like it or not, and understand how can we increase or uh, improve the material conditions yeah. of our life. And then if we do that, we understand why we need uh, um, uh, a social, radical social transformation, but also why we also need freedom in the sense of what it means to be free. There is a lot of questions, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that we need to, to look at, but we have to look at it in a more historical and materialist yeah. way. Yeah, amen. That we have That's been a very so good far, uh, final word, I think. Uh, Christine, I want to thank you very much for for joining us on the show today. It's, it's, I've, I've really appreciated reading your book. Um, I think it's a very unique contribution. Uh, it brings a fresh analysis that I think, you know, you don't always see in these debates within the United States. There, there are some people doing uh, this kind of work here when it comes to for example, the, the question of racial essentialism and things like this. But I don't know that I'm seeing so many people uh, unify that critique with what you've got in this book, which is an assessment of the history of identity politics um, a, and, and also a, an attempt to reground our Marxist orientation in a commitment to enlightenment reason and the idea of shall we say progress i think that is brave and i think that is authentic and 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 very rare 
right now. So thank you so much for writing this and I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I was great. I, I, I'm so glad you came on.